Hi everyone, this is Adriana. And this is Tanya. Welcome back to Closing the Gap, a social justice podcast dedicated to finding solutions to combat all of the inequalities that we face in our everyday lives. Today, before starting our episode, we really wanted to take some time to acknowledge everything that's going on in Iran. A couple weeks ago, it was reported that they carried out their first known execution over anti-government protests. They ended up hanging a 23-year-old named Motion Shikari for helping protesters by blocking a street and apparently injuring one of Iran's Milita members. It's very unfortunate to hear yet another young life lost. And as most of us know, this is the first known execution. There's been already hundreds of lives lost. And for that reason, we'd like to take a moment of silence for all of those who are losing their lives for this fight for freedom. We recognize that this fight is for women and people everywhere, and we stand in solidarity with everyone who is speaking up against the atrocities that are happening over there. And we encourage you all to speak up, use your platforms, and we'll share resources in the show notes on how to do so. So for today's episode, we're going to touch upon the topic of gentrification. A lot of cities have been experiencing gentrification for years now. It's been a very popular topic within a lot of communities, and we thought it was really important to shed light. It's happening not only in a national sense, but also internationally. Gentrification essentially occurs when communities experience an influx of capital, commodities, and services in local communities where those resources weren't necessarily available before. Usually, gentrification occurs when more affluent people move to a community that was less affluent. Whenever we think of gentrification, I think the first thing that comes to mind is displacement. And we did want to make it clear that although there are times where those terms are kind of used interchangeably, Gentrification necessarily isn't displacement. It can lead to it. By far, one of the biggest examples that we've been seeing is that of in Mexico City. It touches really close to home for me. Uh, My dad is actually from Mexico City. And a couple of weeks ago, I actually visited. I had a great time there. It was nice seeing and experiencing the culture. But being there, you could see that there were people there that necessarily weren't always part of that community. And although it was nice to see that gentrification hasn't affected the culture there yet, necessarily, from my like perspective, you could still feel the beauty and the culture within Mexico there. However, a lot of locals have been impacted by digital nomads and people working remotely from the U.S. who are choosing to move to Mexico City to save on rent. Of course, the price differences there are very different from here in the U.S. And we do have the privilege of being compensated a lot more than the Mexican citizens that live there. It's caused a severely big increase in prices of rent and even ownership for the homes there. I couldn't help but feel like a sense of guilt when I visited and posting on my stories and like promoting how like great Mexico City is because that essentially does lead to people's interest in wanting to move there. That's 
that's why it's kind of conflicting as much as you would like to share with people like your experience in a beautiful country and in a culture. I couldn't help but feel like I was promoting it in a way that people would see like, oh, I get like why people are moving there. Maybe I should. So it was really interesting to kind of come back from that and deal with it. I know it's something like even my younger brother felt when we came back. He couldn't help but see all of these TikToks that were calling out how a lot of Americans are pushing out Mexican citizens from their own capital. And it was it was really conflicting. Yeah, this is a very um, nuanced conversation. I do want to emphasize that. Like, I don't want to use good or bad in any of this conversation because, for example, with digital nomadism, which is essentially people working remote so they can choose to live wherever. As someone who works remote and is planning on moving out of the country next year because of that reason. Because I'm like, why not experience more of the world if I can work from anywhere? I think also, like, we have to think about why people feel the need to do that in the first place. Like, yes, we're making more in dollars because we happen to live in the U.S. But if you make more in dollars, if what you're making in the U.S. isn't enough for living here, like, that's already one reason why people are moving, right? It's not just like, oh, well, I have more money. Let me go be rich here. It's also like, why don't they feel enough? Why don't they feel like they have enough where they are? Because L.A. is expensive. California is just too expensive. So things like that, right? There's a lot of factors that come into these things. And I do think with everything that we do, we can do it ethically or not. And I think it's not necessarily like a black or white situation. I think it's kind of more of a intention. You can travel ethically. You can, we should be able to live wherever. We're supposed to be global citizens. We shouldn't have to be like, just because my parents had me here, I have to stay here the rest of my life. I don't believe in that. But I also don't believe in let me go to this place and then change the whole culture and make it how I want it to be because now I'm here and I'm not comfortable with what the locals are doing here. And so you make it your own and you bring, you can bring your culture there and introduce everyone to it. You can, you know, we can mix things up, but we can't impose our own needs and then like walk away, right? And abandon it too. And this is interesting when having this conversation now because Adriana went to Mexico City and then I went to Puerto Vallarta like a week or two after. And I experienced the same thing where I was talking to taxi drivers. I like to talk to the people and I ask them questions when I go to places because I like to know what they're experiencing, especially in heavily touristed places. So I asked my taxi driver, like, what do you all think of all this development? It just seemed to not end. I thought the Puerto Vallarta was like, you can get to one end to the other within maybe 10, 15 minutes driving. It took like, I think at least 30 minutes, not over an hour. They just keep expanding and expanding. So I kept asking, I asked him like, what is up? What do you all feel? And he said, well, we're worried because we want to have the view of the mountains. We want to have, you know, our nature, like it's it's getting destroyed. And this is what we live off of. We live off the, the fruit, right? We live off the fish. We can't just have our nature destroyed. And in the name of development for people who are taking that money elsewhere, like Hilton, like huge companies like that. I do think it's different if it's like a mom and pop hotel, small business, just trying to live off the tourism that's coming. Like tourism can benefit the local economy if we put it into the local economy, not if we just give it to these huge companies or these huge investors that don't even live there. The biggest problem within Mexico City specifically is the investment through Airbnb. Uh, yeah, that's and, a huge one too. Yeah. Especially and, with digital nom- nomadism. Yeah. And it's very conflicting because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, we use Airbnb so often here. For my trip, I did use Airbnb to to book where I stayed. And in coming back and, and seeing that that was part of the issue, that's something I'm going to be more conscious of next time that I visit and see if I can, you know, next time that I stay there, possibly stay like with 
a hotel or a homeowner that is more locally based versus giving profit to a company that is only adding on to the problem and who isn't necessarily being themselves as conscious to the community as they should be. Yeah, that's tricky because the people, I mean, people also profit off Airbnb, right? The people who have their houses on there. So it's, it's, it's convenient. It is. Yeah. I don't think there's any, again, it's just like, how do we, how do we put the intention in there as much as possible? Like when it comes to tours, like one of my tours was with, it was literally a group of four people, me, like another couple and the tour guide. It was such a small tour and it's just this guy with his girlfriend as a business. So like that's like an example of a very small local business and that's his living, right? So that you're contributing to that, someone local. And it's more fun. Like, why would you want to go into community and then put a McDonald's and then see Starbucks? Like why? Yeah. I don't know. If you want to go into this new place, like you're taking the time to go into this new area, whether it's across the state, across the county, another to another country. And yeah, and you want to see it like made into something else completely different, then you don't actually want to live there. So like also thinking of the why, why do people, why do we move to other areas? What do you think? Because um, I was really shocked when I was there, there was a lot of American brands and companies that I did not expect to see there. They had like chilies they had <laughs> like the randomest things I mean but like anytime me or like my younger brother would notice something we'd call it out and be like why would they have that here mm-hmm. and you bring up a really good point it's just if you're going to visit somewhere and experience a, a different culture why not immerse yourself in it don't go back to comfortability and I do wonder if all of these brands and companies are able to like move over there and find success because of the Americans that are moving there and who are supporting these companies. Because I'm sure like someone who's moving to a different country, they're going to find comfort in like the brands that they're familiar with. So they're going to gravitate towards it. And I wonder if that's kind of like one of the reasons why those companies are able to successfully be there. Oh, of course. The clientele is there and they know that they're not going to be there otherwise. Which brings me to another point that I think some people like to bring up when it comes to gentrification or any of this, especially when it comes to tourism, even if it's harmful, the argument of, well, it creates jobs, well, it helps the economy, it gets brought up a lot. And whenever people say that, I'm like, what economy and what jobs? Like, I really want people to think about what specifics they're talking about here. It's funny to me because I always wonder, like, what do you think people would be doing otherwise? Like, people act like if there wasn't tourism, then you know, in this case, Mexicans would just be like, oh, we had nothing to do. Like, we're screwed. Like, no, there'd be a whole different industry. There'd be, again, fishing in Puerto Vallarta. That's a huge one. And it's being taken over a little bit by tourism. So there's other things to do there. Puerto Vallarta used to be mostly ranching. And now a lot of people are moving to becoming waitresses or receptionists at the hotels. So this idea that it helps the economy And it's like the capitalist economy that helps people on high-rise buildings. That's not the economy that we want to be supporting. We want to be supporting the people's economy. And then, yeah, jobs that are, what, hardly any benefits? When I was in Republica Dominicana earlier this year, again, I asked one of the the guys on my tour, like, oh, so, like, how do you like this job? How do you like this? Blah, blah, blah. And he mentioned how they work six days a week, sometimes even seven, like, long hours, it's really hard to ask for days off, like just these jobs that ask a lot of their people and they they have no way out. Like it's not like, a oh, let me save up and then go to a different job, like how we dream of doing 
with our jobs here in the U.S., we think of saving, of buying land, something. We have goals. Whereas here, they're literally just struggling to survive. If your job barely has enough for rent and to support your family, and that's it, that's not enough. You should be able to have goals with your money. You should be able to have days off. So I always ask people what economy and what jobs, because that's very important to think of too. Yeah, that's definitely a really good point to bring up and to kind of tie back wages to the problem of gentrification. When you have this influx of more affluent people coming into these communities that didn't really have the resources for these types of people, the wage gap just kind of increases so much Mm -hmm. and to the point where original residents can't even afford rent anymore can't even afford properties there. I think you brought up the fact that we do have to think about how people are struggling here in the U.S. And that is one of the reasons why they are looking for other options of where to live that would be more affordable. But if it's someone can clearly afford California or a New York rent and they're choosing to go to Mexico City just for the fun of it or just to create even more wealth. That is yeah, needed. They need to create even more wealth and because they can afford it, they, they see these prices and they see profit. That's when it's not okay. That's when you are taking advantage of the privilege that you have and taking away from people that can barely even afford to like even make ends meet. One stat that we found is how Mexicans living in the capital are making almost what's equivalent to 3800 a year. That's such a big gap. And some of the houses in like the very prominent area of Condesa, really nice area within Mexico City. Some of the houses there are now going upwards to like a million. How does that make sense for property to go up in so much value, not reflecting that same increase within like the wages of the people that live there? It just doesn't make sense. And that's where gentrification does become harmful. And leads to displacement. Exactly. And like when we use terms of like property. It's not just this building, right? It's it's this connection to everything. If your family has lived there for generations, it's not just you leaving behind these four walls. It's you leaving behind all your memories, a part of who you are, an identity. So displacement, it's not just like the physical removal of people. It's all the emotional and mental toil that comes with that. And then where do they go? And then where do they start anew? And how does that help the economy again? Because if it creates jobs, but people are forced to leave. Like they have to go find a new job. So apparently it's not creating jobs, or at least not the ones we want if people are now struggling to find a job. And we see this all over the place because, I mean, we living near Los Angeles know that homelessness is only rising. Rents keep rising. So people are getting more displaced. If we see more people on the streets, more people displaced, the economy is not the economy that we want, or at least it's not the one that's working for most of us. Yeah, I know we're focusing right now on Mexico City, but we're seeing that everywhere. We're seeing that in Puerto Rico. We're both based in California right now. California is the home of the city most impacted by gentrification in the U.S., which is Oakland. Just to to see the difference in how a community used to be in, what, what irks me the most too when it comes to gentrification and people being displaced is the way that these communities were looked at before so lowly and now you have people coming in and just I just it it, it irks me so much because it's like they're coming in without the knowledge of the community and they're just seeing 
seen it to their benefit without even taking into consideration what was there before. I, it just, it, yeah. It's seen as a commodity. It's seen as a project. Like you said, if people are just coming in to increase their investments, what building can I buy? What this, without consideration of who's in that building, without consideration of who built that building, what's happened in that building, like all the historical context. It reminds me of this episode or this scene in All American. By the way, I highly recommend this show if you guys haven't seen it. It touches on a lot of like topics that we actually talk about in this podcast. But so there's this scene where, so the, okay, so actually for context, an All-American, the whole point is that, and it's based on a true story, this football player from Crenshaw, he's really good. And then he gets recruited by a coach in Beverly Hills. And if you don't know these areas, Crenshaw is a low-income neighborhood and mostly black and brown. Beverly Hills is mostly white and it's very wealthy. And so the whole show is like the going back and forth between those two communities. And in this one scene, they go to this place where it's now a yogurt place, a frozen yogurt place. And it used to be like this mom and pop. And they're like, oh, even this is gentrified. Like even this is changing. And then the frozen yogurt place is owned by this white lady. And so they go in and then the two black brothers have an argument. And one of them kind of raises their voice, but like a normal argument, no physical violence or whatever. In the midst of that, a yogurt drops on the floor. And so the guy's like, oh, sorry, can I get a napkin? Can I clean it up? My bad lady, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I need you all to leave. And then the cops get called and she calls the cops, even though like they had left, they were like, fine. Like they were upset, but they're like, you know, whatever. So the whole point of this scene was to show that like, when you come and set up a whole new business, you're changing the culture one, because they kicked out that previous business and you're changing the culture and without consideration of who's in the area, like these people grew up in that area and you're telling them they don't belong in your frozen yogurt place now because you're a little bit uncomfortable, quote unquote. So this idea, if you come in with your why of just seeing money, of just seeing dollar bills, of just seeing an opportunity for yourself, then you're not seeing the bigger context. That's when we get displacement. And that's when we get this loss of, of culture as well. There is just so much history and so much that we need to learn from places like that, like small businesses. Whereas a freaking Chili's, like you said, what the frick are we going to learn from a Chili's? Nothing. <laughs> we don't need any so more. <laughs> so random. And, and just to kind of label that example, another effect of gentrification is it does facilitate discriminatory behavior. That's mm -hmm. like a perfect example of it. To a certain extent, gentrification can be a good thing depending what the purpose of these resources are for, right? And to come in and just think that you come into a community and kind of feel like you just own the place, that's not okay. And then that that reflects in why are these resources coming now? Are they just coming in because five white families decided to move into this little neighborhood? And so now they have a nice park. Now they have all of this. And it's like, where, where was this 10 years ago when these families weren't here? And that's where we keep going back to this why, this motive, because it really can be just so profound in everything that goes around in that area. One example of how gentrification maybe can result from positive intentions is now we're seeing more places, you know, with climate change and with just environmental issues being very hot topic more people wanting to plant trees or create more green spaces because we know the benefits of nature. And I'm working with this organization called Mini Forest LA to plant mini forests throughout LA. It's pretty self-explanatory. But the idea of bringing more green spaces to especially neighborhoods that don't have it. And so they're, they have more pollution usually because the air isn't being as filtered. 
Um, they have less shade. And so on hot days, especially with increasing heat waves, this can be really detrimental to our health, things like that. But when we're thinking about where to plant these forests, we were visiting one area and one of the indigenous people that he's an indigenous artist in that area. And he was explaining how like, we can't just come and plant a bunch of forests in this area because as soon as you green that area, as soon as you beautify it, you increase property values and that leads to displacement. I didn't think about that. And I'm just like, I just want to plant a tree. Like I'm literally just trying to bring nature back for this area. And even that can lead to displacement. And so with any of these projects of trying to just change the area, we really have to be in conversations like that with people who live there. And they should be leading these things. If they want to beautify the area, if they want a new park, what do they want it to look like? How do they want these resources allocated? That should be up to them. And yeah, not the people who decided to just come in now. Yeah, like the investors who, again, just see an opportunity for themselves. Exactly. And really, I, I think it's just a matter of being mindful, mindful of the communities that you're coming into again whether where you're moving to or you're traveling to and that's exactly why whenever big changes or policies are made the local community should be involved it shouldn't be you know these investors or these politicians that aren't really a part of the community shouldn't be making these decisions on behalf of them not just a seat at the table but the head of the seat at the table like we can't just you know have the same boardroom of the investors and government and different companies and then we get one seat for the local representative like we want them to actually be the main say in this because they at the end of the day the consequences affect their lives the most and so why shouldn't they have the most say and i'm sure you all are thinking okay well gentrification is kind of it's inevitable how can we combat it And that's exactly, there lies the solution, keeping the involvement of the local communities, pushing local institutions to to keep jobs and wealth within their own communities. There also has been success for certain cities with community land and investment trusts. Tanya and I have been doing a little bit of research there, but if you would like to learn more, we'll be sure to include an article explaining how these land and investment trusts work. So you can check out our show notes. It's also helping promote ownership for like existing residents and helping them be successful. I think really we need to make sure that like residents of communities have the resources that they need and the education that they need in order to thrive in their own spaces. Yeah, gentrification really happens when we already have these inequalities in place. You can't gentrify a neighborhood that already has you know, a bunch of resources where the people are doing well or everyone is well educated. Like you just you just can't. There's no, I guess, loophole of trying to like, oh, let me see if I can flip this building and make huge profit off of it because the value is already pretty stable. The property value is already pretty stable. Gentrification happens when we have these huge gaps already. So I'm thinking of closing these gaps before we can, <laughs> before we can explore them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why you don't hear about gentrification in Beverly Hills. You hear about gentrification in Crenshaw. You hear about gentrification in Oakland. In Puerto Rico, we see it. Bringing up these places, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico City, and Puerto Rico is very important because tropical areas are becoming, they probably always were a thing, but I feel like I see it becoming more and more of a thing now 
everyone just wants their piece of paradise, quote unquote. And so they want their little slice of beach. And so they decide to cut off that beach to the local residents. Just imagine this is the ocean. Like this is not yours. And but you think if you cut off this piece of sand, the ocean is now yours. Like these things that we think that really should never be ours. We should never be able to claim this. For some reason, people think they can as long as they put up a little wall. So yeah, I think bringing those up is really important too, because it's only going to become even more of a thing and we need to really address it now. It's already hurting people, but it's just going to increase if we don't do something about it. So yeah, close those gaps so we can not exploit them in the first place. Yeah. And it really comes down to educating yourself too, or you've told me how when you were there, even the residents were pushing back on these hotels who were trying to keep the beaches secluded and saying, that's actually illegal on their part. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself. Don't be afraid to use your voice and to speak up. Knowing the law can be super powerful. Oh, yeah. And knowing those nuances. Yeah. And understanding the policies that are being put into place that are benefiting these people who are taking advantage of these communities, making sure that you understand those policies and keep up to date with what local politicians are trying to to push through so that you can support politicians that aren't, you know, just mm-hmm. money hungry and putting like the interest of their pockets over the community. Or power. Yeah. And also, this is when privilege can actually be I wouldn't say beneficial, but at least you can use it to your advantage. So like as a tourist, if I'm in a place like that, like if I was in Puerto Rico, then that happened to me. Or if I say it happened to a local, it's more likely to happen to a local, right? Than a tourist that people say, can you leave this beach? And so like me being in that sense, if I'm the tourist and I'm in a sense of privilege there because they want to take care of me, they want me to spend my money in their place. So they're going to be more likely to kick out the local than me. That's when I can use my voice, right? And say, hey, wait, I know the law, like beaches are supposed to be open. By the way, this is in California as well. The people that I was in that tour with, they were from San Diego. And so they're the ones who brought it up. They were like, oh yeah, we know the Hilton, places like that, who again are coming in from, they're not even Mexican owned. They have to have at least one public access to everyone. Meaning even if you don't have a room at the Hilton, you should be able to walk right through the Hilton and get to the beach and enjoy the beach without anyone bothering you. Anyone, locals, tourists, anyone. And they said this happens in California as well, where we see these houses technically need to have a public access or like these restaurants in Laguna Beach, let's say, like Orange County, where it's very wealthy and they're all right next to the beach. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll put plants right in front of the fence. They somehow obscure the entrance that's supposed to be public. And so what that lady that I met was doing was she worked for the city for a while. She would go and sue these people and say, you need to make that more obvious. You need to put a sign or something. And so people know the law. And so they're trying to get loopholes to keep us from out of our beaches, to keep us out from nature, which should be for everyone, by doing little things like this. In the Hilton, for example, there will be guards, and the guards may be the ones who come up to people and say, hey, like, where are you going? And that's when they said, you can tell them, hey, and actually in Mexico, you're not allowed to like me off the beach. The beach is for everyone. But yeah, this is not just Mexico. This is also in California. So when you know the law and when you know these little things like this, it can really just be all that more reason to speak your voice. Yeah, that's a really good point. Being educated and knowing what laws are in place to know how to speak up for yourself. Speaking of the law, we can also 
make sure that we promote rent control laws being put into place to help combat gentrification and displacement. And that really, again, comes down to being involved with your local politicians, being involved in those conversations. I know throughout different communities and even here in LA, there's plenty of community groups that focus on rent control and and fighting against these policies to ensure that like people can actually afford where they're living. So really, it's important to educate yourself and kind of familiarize yourself with those groups. We will definitely link through a few down in our show notes so that you guys can get introduced to some of those. It's just really about striking a balance between the interests of all these different parties. Landlords, because yes, that's their business. Residents, because I mean, that's their home and everything that else that's involved in that. Well, of course, government plays a part because they're the ones that are passing the laws. So it can be tricky. And that's why we mentioned in the beginning, this is a very nuanced conversation. It's not going to look the same here where we are near LA to other places, the policies that get passed. And it's not about this silver bullet, one fits all solution. I think it's just about recognizing what local communities are going through and then what they feel like they're losing. So in places where we see more development, they feel like they're losing their connection to the mountains, like I said, in Puerto Rata, or to the ocean, to nature. So how can we bring that back in places where they feel like, I just can't afford to live here and I'm going to be homeless? Okay, well, how do we enforce rent control? So each community is going to need something different. They're going to be losing something different. And so addressing what they're losing before it happens, ideally, with these laws, yeah, is a great way of just trying to minimize the harmful effects of gentrification and to minimize displacement for sure. Yeah, and we felt like it was really important to have this episode to just kind of get the conversation started. Because again, it seems like within the last few years, gentrification has been such a hot topic. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. Again, it's kind of inevitable. And in thinking about it, it's like, well, how do we combat it? How do we like work through it if it's bound to happen? What are solutions that can be made in order to have gentrification done the right way that benefits the communities? And it's really being a part of that conversation and educating yourself. That's why we thought it was really important to bring up this topic specifically now, especially as inflation, we're all feeling it. We're all seeing the effects of the economy. Again, we're based in California and we're, we've been very impacted by the increases in not only just rent, but just prices overall. And although it can be a scary thing, it's really important to just be involved to kind of make this process better for everyone. I also feel like, like how we mentioned being mindful and being just intentional about these things, because I think a lot of times gentrification happens when we're not mindful and not in the sense that we're like, I'm going to do whatever I want, but in the sense that you don't think about it. You're just thinking of like, I just want to go see Mexico City because I heard it's beautiful. So why don't I go? Like, it's not something we keep in mind at the top of our head and we kind of just go about life. And then we realize later, oh, shoot, actually that had consequences what I did. So it's just instead do your research before instead of, you know, thinking about it afterwards, because I think it happens unintentionally a lot. And and that's not necessarily our fault. It's just Again, gentrification, it just adds on to inequalities that are already there. So these systems in place were already there and that's not your fault. And you don't have to take blame for that. So how do we navigate doing what we want to do in this world? Because I, I do want people to travel. I think most of my important life lessons are from traveling. I want to travel until I die. And so I don't want to tell people like, just stay in your house. Don't go anywhere. Don't harm other communities, you know, by not going there at all. I do think you should go and learn from other people. And I do think you should do all the things you want to do. But to do so in a way that you research a lot beforehand, that you 
are just very conscious of every step that you take because if that was your community, I'm assuming that's what you would want, you know, people who are traveling to your community that you would want them to do as well. And we move for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, people move because they're forced to and people move because we know that as people coming from immigrant families, we're not here to tell you like you should not leave the place that you were born into. Know that more than anyone. But because of that, our communities are always going to be changing. And so what we saw the culture maybe was here in this area years ago can change as people move. And that's okay as long as we do it together, as long as we are open-minded about just combining all these different cultures and communities together and then keeping the essence there as well. As long as I think as the essence is in the people and not in profit, because that's where we see the issues really happen, then we're going to be okay. Very well said. And we really hope that with this episode, we've helped to kind of motivate you in thinking about these things, please, again, stressing the articles that we'll be sharing in our show notes to kind of explain a little bit more in depth these things, please be sure to check it out. We live in, in a time where we can't be ignorant anymore. We have no excuse for it. We have all of the information at our hands. So it's really on us to take those actions. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. Please follow us on whatever streaming platform you use. To learn more, you can follow us on Instagram at closingthegappod or email us at closingthegappod at gmail.com with questions and feedback. Thanks for listening. Until next time.